Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, issue number one for handing out more TMF money. What's the bang for the buck? Are we delivering in this project a a service that can be used and consumed by people in other parts of the government as well? And so we get more for that investment. CMMC may be coming to another location near you. I've had a number of conversations with representatives from other government departments, uh, from other sectors of critical infrastructure, and even other nations who are showing interest in the value of a cybersecurity third-party certification regime. And assistance available to navigate the Pentagon's cyber process. If you're a defense contractor out there or any company in federal acquisition that wants to go ahead and implement and get assessed, uh, there's help to be had. It's Monday, June 13th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The Office of Management and Budget's new IT operating plan includes a new connection for the Technology Modernization Fund and the Federal Citizen Services Fund. Federal Chief Information Officer Claire Martirana says OMB will use information from both to boost shared services. The operating plan organizes around cyber, IT modernization, digital first customer experience, and data as a strategic asset. Appropriation season opens in Washington this week. House appropriators will mark up the defense, military construction and VA, and agriculture and FDA bills on Wednesday. They'll work on the Homeland Security and Financial Services and General Government bills on Thursday. You can read more about these headlines and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. Tomorrow is the UiPath Together Summit. You'll learn about automation from leaders in government and industry. It's happening at the Ritz-Carlton in Pentagon City. You can find a link to learn more and sign up in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Technology Modernization Fund could be empty by the end of this fiscal year. The executive director of the TMF, Raylene Young, tells Congress the board plans to allocate the $756 million the fund still has by the end of the fiscal year, September 30th. Gordon Bitko is senior vice president of the Information Technology Industry Council. He's former chief information officer at the FBI. Gordon, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. I imagine it's a good thing that the fund uses the money that it has What are the potential red flags, if any, that you hear about moving that amount of money between now and the end of September? Welcome. Francis, it's great to be back with you as always. And this is a great topic to talk about. It's a lot of money and it's a lot to be effective at driving government IT modernization, which I think we all agree is and will be for the foreseeable future a priority for the government. There are definitely, though, as you asked, there, there are challenges. It's, it's what are the clear set of priorities coming from Congress and coming from the administration that that money should be invested in? Is it fixing legacy systems, modernizing and retiring legacy systems? Is it addressing a lot of the cybersecurity priorities that have come out of the cyber executive order and the, the proposed FISMA reform language that's before Congress right now? So I think that's a place where we have to look first is clear guidance to agencies. But then secondly, there's been a lot of discussion and give and take about the repayment model, and there hasn't been the clarity on that that we really need. I I, I think, unfortunately, Francis, you know, if we go back to the origins of the TMF and and the MGT Act, there's this idea that we're going to save money, we're going to modernize and get rid of old technology, and that's going to save money and and government agencies are going to spend less on information technology. And the reality is that that's just never been borne out. 
we can absolutely expect them to be more efficient, to do more, to get more bang for the buck. But can we actually expect them to spend less for IT? I think only if we tell agencies, you can do less today than you did last year. So I, th I think we've got to look at those repayment mechanisms as a part of spending this money effectively. I want to talk about that in a moment, but your point that the cost savings have never been borne out. Do you think they've never been borne out because we're not doing it right? Or we, they haven't been borne out because that's not, that wasn't a reasonable expectation with which to start this dialogue. I think it's a little bit of both, Francis. It's hard to actually measure true costs because it's not happening in a vacuum. The agency that's spending that money is changing over time. And it has more data for that system today than it did yesterday and has more users. It has more mission requirements. So we're not going to expect them. We shouldn't expect them to spend the same. That makes it both hard to actually quantify a savings, but also I think un unrealistic. If you look at if you look at you know, really quickly as a as an analogy your home and compare in your home computer now to what it was a few years ago you probably have a higher bandwidth connection because you're doing Zoom conversations and streaming videos and you've got 50 connected internet devices and so you might be spending less per quantity of stuff that you have but in total you're spending more what kind of clarity on repayment are you looking for or what kind of clarity do you think is lacking right now Gordon there's been discussion, Francis, about this idea that the repayment schedule could be relaxed or even eliminated entirely if the investments align to some priorities, but exactly how that's going to be determined hasn't been defined clearly. And I think that puts agencies in a bit of a bind. The agency chief financial officers are looking at this and saying, are you expecting me to obligate money in future years, which is taking away some of their freedom to do other things but they don't know if that's the case or not. That puts them in a tough position to really definitively say, we want this money now because we know what our future requirements are gonna be. So, so the administration really has to give some guidance on that. You mentioned the original authorizing legislation, the MGT Act that brought TMF into existence in the first place. And the whole point of it was this revolving fund idea. And I know this is not new. We've been talking about the repayment issues with this for a while, but if we go to a model where the agencies don't have to pay the money back, then it becomes a, an issue of going to Congress all the time, shaking the can and saying, will you put something else in it? And that kind of seems to me to defeat the whole purpose of it in the first place. Yeah, I think that that's right, Francis. And what it really speaks to is, and, and this is challenging, right? I don't, I, don't, I don't pretend that it's simple, but, but there isn't the sort of clarity on an overall government IT strategy. There's lots of pieces, there's lots of parts of it. There's a clear focus on cyber now as there should be. There's a data strategy. But there's not this overall, what are we really trying to do? And what is the long-term government IT investment strategy going to be to get to that? And I understand Anti-Deficiency Act requirements. We can't obligate future year money. But we can have a clear vision of what should we be expecting to do? And I think that gets to some of what you're talking about around the, the needing to shake the can and the revolving fund. If we know on an annual basis, well, we said we're going to do these things here's how we're going to do them, that puts us in a, in a better position. What would you like to see in a plan like? Let's say for a moment that the government decides as a community it's going to come up with a four-year IT strategy broadly, not just the data strategy and not just you know, these yeah. other pieces that we talked about. What would you like to see in something like that, Gordon? I think, Francis, uh, there, there's a few main components of that from, from my perspective. One is it's got to be focused on, on end user experience and, and how do people who are the consumers and users of all this information and data do better. And, and there's an attempt, I think, in the administration's executive order on, on user experience to talk about that, but again, in sort of a piecemeal way. 
So it's really got to start there because so many people are so much more dependent on online government products and services than ever before. It's got to have a holistic and realistic expectation and understanding of the cybersecurity requirements. The executive order on cybersecurity EO 14028 has lots of good stuff in it. There's lots of meat in it, but it's put the burden on agencies to figure out how are they going to do those things on top of all the other requirements that we've given them. And I think that it's got to address that. And then I think that the last thing that I'll, I'll note about this, Francis, is it's, it's got to be really clearly focused as it is a strategy for IT for the sake of the government. And this is a place where the administration, for, for understandable reasons, mixes in lots of other policy priorities in, into, their, into their executive orders and into their guidance. A, a great example of that is the Infrastructure Act. There's a lot of money going to all sorts of things within the Infrastructure Act, and that's great. It includes cybersecurity broadband for communities that need it. But then on top of that, they have these domestic content requirements. And, and for IT, that's just very challenging. And the result is that by putting that additional requirement in, it's gonna reduce the capability of the government to deliver the products and services that it needs. So when the government puts together an IT strategy, it really needs to think about what are the objectives from an IT standpoint and how do we get there? All right, let's role play for a minute. Uh, I'm gonna put you back at the FBI and I'm gonna assign you to the TMF board. Uh, and I'm going to put you at the table reviewing these uh, proposals that are coming in. What are you, Gordon, looking for as you review these proposals to decide, yes, this should get some of the $756 million, or we're going to put this one aside and ask them to, to go back and improve on it? A few things in my mind are, are, are key, and, and some of these, are there, there's, there's going to be some internal tension because the TMF wants to fund small agencies sometimes that don't have resources and, and understand that, that there's a need for that. But I would be looking at it as what's the bang for the buck? Are we delivering in this project a, a service that can be used and consumed by people in other parts of the government as well? And so we get more for that investment, number one. Number two, are we moving as much as we can to commercial best practices and, 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 and standards-based approaches? That way we set ourselves up for simplifying this conversation in the future a lot as we've talked about in the past the modernization challenges all the old legacy custom things that have been done let's stop doing that let's focus on initiatives that really drive these best standards and best practices and take advantage of commercial capabilities and empower industry to to do their thing gordon bitco it's great to talk to you again my friend thanks for coming on francis as always great to be with you you can read more about the Technology Modernization Fund in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop Podcast, coming on Tuesday's show, Cloud Momentum at the Agriculture Department. USDA Associate CIO Dave Peters is on Tuesday afternoon's Daily Scoop Podcast. You'll find it at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. The CMMC accreditation body is no more, at least in name. The board is calling itself the Cyber AB now. Matthew Travis is chief executive officer of the Cyber AB. Matthew, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. Great to see you again. What's the difference between what you were before and what you are now? Welcome. Thanks, Francis. Good to be with you. What's different, I think, uh, phonetically is that we're easy to pronounce. You know, our formal name is still the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification Accreditation Body Incorporated. That's clearly a mouthful. And even the, the short title we've been going by, CMMCAB, that's a six-letter initialism. You know, ESPN gets, a little, gets away with four. I think six was a bit much. And so 
A lot of people call us the, the AB, putting the cyber in front of that speaks to our portfolio. So we wanted to make, you know, have a name that's more accessible, easier to pronounce. But I think in terms of the actual, the logo and the mark and the brand, you know, early on, we had lifted uh, really very generously from the Pentagon's official program emblem. And I can understand back in the day where the relationship with DOD was still in its infancy, but as time went on, it was clear. One, people sometimes confuse this, that we might be a governmental entity, which I know you know we are not. And then also uh, the, the government didn't uh, protect that from an intellectual property perspective. And so it was really impossible for us uh, when uh, individuals, organizations were using that emblem uh, to denote affiliation that didn't exist. We couldn't really police it. So we've got a name that's, I think, a little easier to, to say and uh, a brand that we'll be able to defend. I note when uh, you first announced this, you it stated very explicitly the roles and responsibilities of the CMMC. I'm sorry, the Cyber AB. I still have the bad habit. That's quite um, all right. Uh, with regard to its contract supporting the Department of Defense, have not changed. You wanted to be very clear that the mission of your organization continues uh, apace, right? I did. Our legal name doesn't change. So the Cyber AB is our DBA, our doing business as name. And our our contract, our roles uh, with the department supporting CMMC have not changed at all. This is purely a, a rebranding effort. We're going to put a link to the new uh, website, cyberab.org, in the show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com today, Matthew. You also said when you first announced this a week or so ago um, that the new name signals the organization's potential future growth. What's the future growth that you're looking at, Matthew? You know, for instance, over the past year since I've been in this role, I've had a number of conversations with representatives from other government departments, uh, from other sectors of critical infrastructure, and even other nations who are showing interest in the value of a cybersecurity third-party certification regime. I think that's what's somewhat uh, unique about CMMC is that we've got a whole ecosystem that is geared to validate uh, cybersecurity measures, uh, implementation of measures. And that is something that is uh, much more rigorous from a risk management perspective than self-attestation. And I think uh, there are other entities that are looking to potentially uh, subscribe to this conformance regime or have us help them set one up. In those conversations, is it your takeaway that your model is just transferable or is it more an adaptable model, do you think, based on what the needs of another organization, another country, another whatever are? So I think it's a little bit of both in that what DOD did with CMMC 2.0 and aligning it directly to NIST 100-171-172, it certainly makes it more adoptable. So I think it'd be very easy for any other government department to sign on and nothing changes and, and we can just train that ecosystem to support their industrial base uh, just as we do with, within the DIB. But there are other, especially other countries who may want to take a different take on it, maybe have a different standard not aligned to, to NIST. And in that regard, it would require us to then introduce additional training and certification for the C3POs and the assessors. But but the essentially the, the method uh, is very much uh, easily scalable in another uh, another capacity. If the name has changed and the mission has stayed the same, I imagine the questions that you're getting from the industrial base are the same that we discussed last time you were on talking about the change to CMMC 2.0. Um, uh, is that the case? Are, are the questions that industry is asking you kind of staying the same, Matthew? 
They've evolved a bit since the past year. Initially, when I came on, as you recall, the department had just started that uh, that program review. And I think whether CMMC was a uh, common question within uh, government acquisition, and certainly that did. I think those questions have been answered clearly and definitively by the administration. CMMC is moving forward. And so now the questions that I get are more of, hey, when are we going to get on with it? Like, where are we? When's rulemaking going to uh, conclude? What are we doing during rulemaking? And there's much more of a, a recognition that, okay, this thing's happening. I need to get on board. All right. I love that question. When are we going to get on with it? And I'll ask it to you directly. When are we going to get on with well, it? Where are we hey, in that journey, Matthew? Uh, it's a fair question. It's one that obviously the government has the final say on my, you know, my understanding, obviously working closely with them as a rulemaking, the draft of the rule continues. I expect to submit that to OIRA. That's the office of uh, information regulatory affairs up there with OMB and the White House. Uh, that's going to go in, I think, in July. It's going to take about nine months for that rule to do its own journey through the uh, bureaucracy. And then in March, we expect an uh, interim rule designation, which means then you'd have a 60-day public comment period before that rule could be implemented. So all goes well. May 2023, uh, CMMC requirements would be starting to appear in new DOD procurements. At the same time, uh, we expect to start voluntary certifications uh, this summer uh, for those DIP companies who've already implemented CMMC who are ready, and we've got those C3POs uh, standing by to do that. What's the crew look like? I, you told me before we went, uh, before I turned the recorder on, that you've got 15 C3POs standing by ready to, to do those assessments? We do. Obviously not enough for the full implementation. There are over 400 applicants to be C3POs, and the bulk of those organizations are still working through the requirements, which includes being assessed by the Defense uh, Industrial-Based Cybersecurity Assessment Center within DOD. But the pace is picking up, and so we just had five new C3POs to join the marketplace uh, since last month. And those 15 have signed clients from defense contractors who are ready uh, to get a voluntary assessment as soon as that is authorized. I know the Pentagon's working on the specifics of how voluntary assessments will uh, proceed, and we do expect to see that here, uh, I would say, by midsummer. Do you have a lot of interest in, in uh, companies or organizations continuing to want to become those assessors? We, well, it's tailed off a bit because I think there was such an uh, initial demand when we opened up the, the application window. We had a, a lot. So I think if we have over 400 companies, I think that's a good number. What I'm looking at most now are the individual assessors, right? Because those C-3POs need individuals whom to hire. And it's a tight labor market. Are there enough Americans who want to get into CMMC to become, whether it's full-time assessors or part-time assessors, you know, I think it's a good, good, good compensation there to be had. It's an interesting work. It gets you into the cybersecurity field. And so you'll be hearing from us over later this summer, a, a public recruiting campaign, really a promotional effort to encourage Americans to, to engage in CMMC and to take the classes to become assessors. That's interesting. What are the skills that will make somebody a good one? Well, I think you need some uh, technical knowledge in terms of how to evaluate, uh, you know, uh, information system type architecture. You don't need to know how to write code. You don't need a computer science degree. And I think, uh, you know, we train you, or I, I should say the licensed training providers that train them. And so obviously, if you're a, you know, if you're a poet or a blacksmith, maybe that's not the best uh, background. But I think most folks who have a, a technical bent or an interest in information technology uh, could uh, easily, uh, you know, uh, could take the courses, uh, take the high stakes exam, and become a professionally certified assessor. 
What else is on the landscape for the Cyber AB, Matthew? What are the marks that you can hit? You laid out some of the things you expect to see with rulemaking and policymaking and so on. What are you looking at that you can do on your own to continue to move the ball forward? So we've got to finish up some of the doctrinal publications that we provide, including the CMT assessment process or the CAP. That is really the procedural playbook on how an assessment is conducted. We're finishing that up, and that's been the ecosystem has been waiting for that for a while now. Beyond that, I think we need to do a better job of, uh, as I said before, promoting CMMC. There are a lot, there's a whole registry of registered practitioners who are there to help the defense contractors who maybe be putting this off and still a bit confused by it. And so we want to make sure that people are aware the ecosystem has been growing since the day CMMC was announced. Even though assessments haven't started, we've got a whole whole slew of professionals who have really been investing in making this a success. And if you're a defense contractor out there or any company in federal acquisition that wants to go ahead and implement and get assessed, uh, there's help to be had there. You can go to our marketplace and you'll see those uh, individuals and companies listed. When this first when this concept first uh, came around, Matthew, there were a lot of there was a lot of hesitation. There was a lot of resistance, and and there was a sense that. Uh, yeah, this will, this is a fad and it will pass and so on. Is it your belief now that we're beyond that? And are you starting to see that reflected in the dialogue that you're having with the DIB? Uh, I am and I do. I think that SolarWinds, Microstruct Exchange, Colonial Pipeline all had an effect on changing the lens through which most folks looked at cybersecurity where maybe before it was, okay, that's something we got to do and I'll let my IT guy or my CISO worry about that. Cybersecurity is now a C-suite priority uh, because when you think about where we are and how to manage digital risk with IoT, 5G, uh, information is the currency that most companies uh, you know, deal in. And if that's stolen or compromised, then their business is compromised. I think that realization is now much more commonplace than it was even a year and a half ago. Um, we talked also before we started recording, you're in new digs I, and it, it's terrific. We are. We just opened a new office in National Harbor, Maryland. We're a Maryland-based organization, so just across the Potomac here. It's a bit of a Spartan office right now, but we we intend to continue to grow our staff as the ecosystem grows, uh, getting a full-time individual help with uh, customer relations. We've got our own ISO journey to, to, to pick up the speed on that, so we'll need some help uh, getting ourselves ready for ISO accreditation ourselves. And uh, we, we are very excited about the future and a lot of work to be done still. It's great to talk to you in your first day in your new offices, Matthew. Thanks very much. Grant, it's great for great speaking with you. Thank you for having me. You can read more about the Cyber AB in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every weekday afternoon on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows, and on any device you get your shows. And if you really like the Daily Scoop podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It'll help more people find the show. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop podcast is back tomorrow afternoon with Dave Peters from Agriculture, talking about the cloud. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.